Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Fire Tom Herman, your overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcast. Today we're talking recruiting updates and discussing the goings-on of Big 12 Media Days, as well as turning over a new leaf in the growth of this podcast. I'm Josh, also known as Gordog24P, joined today not by Tux, but instead by Noah, also known as Endrule, who you may remember was with us as a guest during our review episode of the 2018 season before the Sugar Bowl. He was He's going to be around as a regular fixture moving forward this season. Tux is still going to be around as well, but he'll mostly be focusing on editing and producing, so don't freak out too much. We're not overhauling everything. It's not a massive change. Uh, Tux will still be very much involved. But with all that in mind, how are you doing today, Noah? It's been a while since you've been on. Uh, how have you been? And more specifically, how have you been taking in the events of the past week? Well, I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, Saturday morning as we record, and so it's looking to be a pretty relaxing evening, I think. And Last week has been going pretty good, especially on the uh, Texas football side of things. It's actually looking a little bit more upward compared to some of the other events this summer. Um, so it's been a good week. Yeah, it's been it's been real good, especially uh, on our last episode. Tux and I were sort of doom and gloom talking about recruiting panic. We had a had a big week there, um, and a lot of that was courtesy of Oscar Giles, who basically this week kind of decided that that we're big time now. Uh, he he reposted. Uh, the video that we had, that how we're doing our weekly series of the top plays of 2018. Last week's video was of Caden Stearns blocking the field goal that Anthony Wheeler returned for a touchdown against USC. Somehow Oscar Giles managed to see that post, liked the video, but did not want to just retweet it because he didn't want to endorse, obviously, the name of the podcast makes it seem like we're uh, calling for his boss to get fired. So he didn't want to endorse that. So he downloads the video, reposts it, and it still says Fire Tom Herman Podcast. So we're pretty famous now. He ended up deleting it, I think, because he realized after the fact or someone in the UT media department was like, hey, uh, you can't do that. So yeah, big time now. We, we've we've hit it big. Uh, but yeah, with that recruiting, uh, first off, holy shit, Oscar Giles, we actually got Vernon Broughton. Everyone in the Texas recruiting world had basically written off Broughton as going to Texas A&M. So uh, give, give me a breakdown, Noah. Tell me about Vernon Broughton. Well, I think that it's safe to say that he's the uh, the biggest pickup of probably, I mean, Keandre Coburn was really good, but he's a huge pickup on the DL, biggest since then at least. And yeah, I think he's a great get. I don't really do much evaluation with recruits, so I just, <laughs> I don't know that I'm <laughs> a good person to speak on that. But I mean, hey, he seems like a great player. And more importantly, I think that he's also just kind of big for like a perception boost and confidence in our ability to actually recruit elite defensive linemen and, and land a couple of them, because um, I know that we've been missing there for a little bit. Yeah, he's he's um, a guy that projects sort of within our system, I think, as a, as a good replacement for Charles O'Menehue, uh, who was D-lineman of the year in the Big 12 last year, uh, got drafted into the NFL. He fits well into that sort of 4-eye tech, um, sort of effectively what a three-down lineman he projects well as a strong end there. Um, he's one of those guys that you, you pick up. He's not like uh, Leal in the last cycle, who was sort of one of those ready-to-go guys, still has a high ceiling, but he's already got so much potential right there um, to come in and play immediately. Broughton's a guy who isn't going to be necessarily instant impact, 
um, unless he really develops during this senior year of football. He's very raw, but he's got all the physical tools you look for, and he's got the motor. So as long as we can get him coached up, and that's one of the areas that coming into this week, most people would say Oscar Giles does a good job of coaching up his defensive line, and maybe not recruiting them, but coaching them up. That's a, yeah, you're right. It's it's a big one from perception from a perception standpoint when seeing like the tides were turned in AM's favor especially with how slow our recruiting has been this summer. It definitely helps just the general confidence to pick up a guy of that that level, clearly considered by most of the recruiting services to be the top defensive lineman in Texas. In addition to Broughton, we also picked up um, a defensive line recruit, currently three-star, probably going to get that burnt orange media conspiracy bump up to a four-star <laughs> here in the coming months. Uh, Van Filling- Fillinger out of Utah. So that, that's two defensive line commits, and they were back-to-back days, actually. Broughton and then Fillinger. So, I mean, Giles was working overtime, not napping on the job on this one. So I think we're going to have to hook the man up with some Pluckers gift cards. <laughs> yeah, I think so. A bunch of those uh, five free wings coupons from after all the games. As many as he likes. Yeah, he's just got to win so we can keep collecting those. As long as the team's <laughs> yeah. winning, everyone gets those. Just mail them right back to Belmont. Yeah, for real. But yeah, I think that, I mean, both of those... Defensive line pickups were a little bit unexpected, but I mean, I think that they both are big gets. And I think that we've actually seen this pretty much every cycle where Herman and the rest of the staff will pull out at least a couple of surprises. Um, Like we saw that in 2018 with Mikey Grandy, where he was all set to commit to UCLA, and then last minute we got in there and changed his mind. Uh, Last year we saw with Trey Watson and Isaiah Hookfin where they were both looking to either sign with Tech or uh, Baylor until we kind of flipped them at the last second. So, yeah, it's nice to see them pull it off with Broughton. I don't know how often we're able to do that kind of thing, but, you know, if I had to choose one guy this cycle, it would either be Broughton or maybe Bijan Robinson to to, uh, pull off at the last minute. So. Yeah, just a huge Yeah, and there's still time for B. John Robinson from what we've heard. Sounds like it's a pretty similar mm-hmm. setup, I guess, as far as how Vernon Broughton's decision came down. Or it seemed like he was favoring A&M, uh, but the family really liked Texas. There have been some reports that B. John Robinson's sort of in the same boat where it's this sort of unexplainable feeling that he gets where he, he loves Ohio State, uh, but it sounds like his family is pretty heavily in favor of Texas. So we'll see how that ends up playing out. But yeah, just just going back to Broughton and Fillinger, we're also looking good. We've got our, our last real defensive line target for this class and Alfred Collins, who's a, a guy that could be also considered a borderline five-star type talent, who is sort of a perceived Texas lean. It's kind of hard to get a read on him because he's pretty quiet, doesn't talk to the media a ton. So most of what we know is that his mom is or played at Texas so he's a, he's a legacy, so there's sort of this perception that he's already a Texas lane. If we're able to secure Collins, Broughton, and Fillinger all in the class, um, that's going to be one of the better defensive line classes that Texas has ever collected in the past maybe decade or so. Uh, so really, Van Fillinger sets the floor for this class at a pretty high level. And with Broughton and Collins keeping the ceiling high, there, there's a lot of good things happening on the defensive line. It gets talked about a lot. Championships are won in the trenches. So between the offensive line class that we've got going in the 2020 class, the defensive line class that we got this year, um, the role players that we picked up in the 2019 class, and what the table that's being set for what's looking good for 2021 with the uh, tackle out of Duncanville, um, the Brockermeyer brothers, 
we're, we're, we're looking good at, at getting to build those, those critical lines to help turn this team into a championship caliber team. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think it's amazing how much a shift his commitment has caused just looking at our defensive line projections for a couple of years. And, you know, you can never count on somebody to actually work out. Like, anybody can bust. But, I mean, it's just 2018 was a really strong class. 2019, we took a couple projects. But having really strong classes two years apart from each other, especially when 2020 could be better than 2018, you know, if we get Collins in there. Um, I think it kind of just changes our, like, our entire projection for the defensive line going through, like, the 2021-2020 seasons, or 2022 seasons. Yeah, especially if 2020 is sort of that target year uh, that we've been talking about. 2019, uh, most of us feel like, would be a year early for really making noise um, on the national landscape. As much attention as we got this year, it was never something where we were really, anyone honestly felt like we were challenging to be in the playoff. Um, 2020 is sort of that year that everyone's looking at. And, and recruiting, like you said, with these these great classes on, on the lines um, is, is where that starts and ends. Yeah, pretty much. And we're, we're finally sorting it out. <laughs> Basically, next up for recruiting, we've got some, uh, some sort of rumbles that things might be happening for the 2021 class. But as far as the 2020 class continuing from here, they're sort of, everyone's just sort of in a holding pattern waiting for uh, safety Chris Thompson Jr., um, also out of Duncanville High School, where we got Jaquindon Jackson um, already in the class. Uh, we're, we're waiting on him. He's expected to announce sometime in early August. I don't think there's an exact date on that yet. And he's sort of uh, believed by most people to be the lone outstanding bat signal, the, the shh emoji that uh, Brian Carrington likes to put out uh, anytime we get a silent commitment. That's believed to be Chris Thompson Jr., so we're all sort of waiting on that and... and from there, it's it's going to be going into the season with these recruitments, with Alfred Collins taking his visits during the football season, um, and and the other guys who are going to be taking visits during football season. So that that's kind of where we are right now for recruiting for the 2020 class. And now now as we start turning our attention to 2021, usually those guys that you want in early, we've already got two guys that are part of the 2021 class, and wide receiver Quay Davis uh, also had 2021 tight end Lake McCree join in. Now we're looking to add a quarterback. You really want that quarterback to be a ringleader for the class. I want him to be sort of the bell cow, and you need to get him on board early. So really for for quarterback in this 2021 class, it comes down to two in-state guys and then sort of an outside outside shot at an out-of-state kid. The out-of-state kid would be five-star pro-style quarterback Jake Garcia. He's out of California. And then really where the debate is for Texas fans from there, five-star quarterback Preston Stone. Um, and then four-star in Jalen Milrow. What's your um, sort of thoughts on that sort of debate, how that's raging? Uh, well, I mean, I think they're both pretty good. I think they're both takes. I am personally on Team Stone. Um, I, I really like watching Preston Stone's highlights. And, I mean, I will say there's only so much you can take away from watching an eight-minute highlight video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, Stone seems like a more advanced passer. He shows off some really nice touch on a couple throws, the kind of stuff that just can't really be taught as a passer a little bit of that johnny manzel magic not that he's manzel i mean he's running around in private school or whatever whereas milrow is a lot more like jaquin and jackson where his team is mostly run first team he doesn't actually throw the ball that much his mechanics are a little wonky um he's definitely have to be developed a lot as a passer but he is a great fit for the system he's probably a better fit than stone and if herman is really going to stick to his guns and stick to this desire to like run the qba run qb counter qb power um, then Milro might be the better take. 
Um, I just like Stone because I think that he is a really nice, just like pure passer, but at the end of the day, he might not be a system fit as much as Milro is. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of the debate for a lot of Texas fans really comes down to what you what you think we're going to need out of the quarterback that would be part of the 2021 class. If you're mm-hmm. if you're someone who, who thinks that we're going to have, a whether it's Ellinger, whether it's Casey Thompson, whether it's Hudson Card, Jaquindon Jackson, if you think that quarterback is going to need to play right away or if he's going to be a project, is I think what – or if he's going to have time to develop as a project, I think really sort of – defines the line for which side you sit on like you said Preston Stone more polished passer might not be the best scheme fit he's he would be the guy you'd look to um, as the five star to be more prepared coming in more capable of playing right away Uh, and and with those mechanics that need to be worked out with Milrow if you think that we're good with one of these quarterbacks whether it's um, Thompson or Hudson Card or Jaquinnon Jackson if you think one of those three guys is capable of becoming the guy and giving the 2021 quarterback time to really develop a couple years, because um, it's not like it's going to be a one spring and suddenly Jalen Milrow is going to be some god tier passer. Uh, it, it's going to be a couple years. If you think that we can pull from the guys that we already have really in the system to take over as the guy, I think that's where you look at Milrow harder as being the take of those two guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it also looks like Milrow wants to commit before Stone, so. We might have our answer here pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, and and you'll find out exactly where they where the staff is sitting in that debate. Whether they they have enough confidence in the guys that are are part of the program, if they're going to take Milrow at this point, um, especially with the questions surrounding. I mean, you mentioned the highlights for Stone, but again, that is all against private school competition. If they're willing to take Milrow at this juncture, uh, I think it bodes well for the the staff's opinion of the quarterbacks that they have in the fold. Um, the last sort of news that's not directly recruiting related, but in the end really is recruiting related. Just this week, found out that assistant coach and really sort of our off-the-road recruiter extraordinaire, not named Brian Carrington, uh, Rashad Samples, he left Texas, got offered a position um, to be on the field in some capacity. I think it's not wide receiver coach. I think SMU hadn't really clarified it, but he did leave to go to Dallas, go to SMU, and be a be a real coach with them. And I think that's, for him, a really good step because as a former player, as a, as a wide receiver in college and and moving into the role that he was in with us, sort of set the foundation for him to be a really good assistant coach. But how does this affect Texas with the Dallas to Austin movement that Jaquindon Jackson and Prince Dorba had really a sort of associated with Rashad Samples. He had started this Dallas to Austin movement to help bolster Texas's presence in the Metroplex and area in DFW, where Texas had really struggled the past several years to solidify big time commitments from. Uh, what do you think the, the impact of this is going to be? Well, uh, I don't really know. <laughs> um, I, I think that in some ways it might be a little bit, there might be a little bit too much panic about it because if you think about it, so the guys we've landed in Dallas, Jaquin and Jackson, Prince Dorba. Um, I want to say that Jake Majors is from the Dallas area, but he's not really part of that. I mean, he committed really early, so he's not part of that recent Dallas to Austin movement. Oh, and Quay Davis as well. So those those guys, I kind of think that Texas looked good for them independently of samples, you know. But I, I do think that 
he might have helped in getting Jaquinn Jackson in so early because he's a guy that had been looking forward to. Uh, he had been looking at delaying his decision until closer to signing day. So I think that the staff's ability to actually get into Dallas this cycle is kind of going to happen because all those guys we looked for, we looked good for regardless. It just might have taken longer to get them in the boat. But I do think that he crafted that Dallas to Austin movement, right? Um, like, it's not just that we're landing Dallas guys, which we could have done anyways, but it's an actual movement. Hashtag Dallas to Austin. They're all putting it in their tweets. They're all tagging samples. And there is a little bit of like perception or momentum difference between just landing guys and actually bringing those guys together to try to make this movement. Um, so it kind of remains to be seen. I, I don't think that he'll hurt us much at SMU <laughs> as a recruiter, which is nice. But it's a great career move for him. I mean, it's amazing to get on the field this early for him and uh, be, able, be able to actually progress as a on-the-field coach. Yeah, I know a lot of Texas fans are kind of hoping that um, he'd stick around long enough to where we gave him a shot as, as a position coach. Um, but just with the sort of uncertainty of whether or not any of our assistants would be moving on after this season, as well as just the fact that he, he hasn't truly position coached yet, um, he was really an assistant receivers coach to Drew Merringer last year. So getting him into a position at SMU with a G5 school still in Texas, especially in the Dallas area where he's clearly comfortable, I think is important. And hopefully it, it gives us an opportunity to more or less evaluate him as a position coach and as a recruiter when he's actually on the road. And maybe it's a couple of years down the road when we, we cycle back or circle back to him and maybe bring him back on board, whether that's as a receivers coach or as a uh, as a running back coach or whatever it might be um, to get that recruiting bolstered back up. If we're not able to get David Beatty to be part of the program to continue helping us in, in DFW. But the, really the good news of it all is that sh- samples did not end up at another regional P5 school. Um, which is where there might have been more of a threat to our existing commitments and to the ties that we've got at Duncanville now uh, due to the legwork he put in while he was here at Texas. Yeah. Uh, the next thing, next big thing we wanted to talk about uh, was just sort of Big 12 media days. Before, before we get too far into it, the big takeaway you need to get here is that if anyone at in Belmont is listening or anyone who's associated with the Big 12 in any way um, is listening, hook us up. We, we'd love to shitpost our way through Big 12 Media Days by actually being there. We want a media pass. If it's Belmont, I, I mean, we can send someone to ask dumb questions, uh, just like Kurt Bowles does for the Austin American Statesman. We can be at those press conferences asking dumber questions than him and actually having fun doing it. Yeah, so, uh, and I think that everybody would love to see Tom Herman's reaction to somebody asking or saying, Hello, this is Noah from the Fire Tom Herman podcast. Like, it's just... It's gold. It needs yeah, to happen. Yeah, just throw it out there. Just the, <laughs> like, he he's he can be uncomfortable sometimes in front of the camera, but it would be it would be premium television to be able to watch the deer in the headlights look you'd get <laughs> from Tom Herman if you told him that you were from the Fire Tom Herman podcast. That alone would be worth the price of admission and probably being immediately having our media pass revoked. Just to ask that once would be great. But if, at Big 12 Media Days, um, we took, I think, six seniors. Uh, Sam Ellinger, Colin Johnson. Sam's what? Sam's a junior. Oh, yeah. <laughs> junior Sam Ellinger. Yeah, yeah. And then a bunch of seniors. Brandon Jones, Zach, Zach, Zach Shackelford, Colin Johnson, Jeffrey McCulloch was there. I think there was one other guy I'm, I'm totally blanking on, um, as well as Tom Herman to sort of speak to the media about our expectations for the upcoming season. For, for Tom Herman... 
uh, he, he spent a lot of time, there were a lot of questions about the offense um, and then some about the defense with replacing a lot of experience. He talked about tight end was a, an area he really focused on, um, discussed the impact of losing Andrew Beck and talking about his expectations for Cade Brewer. Yeah, I thought it was a kind of a really interesting point, one of the more interesting points, because there's been a lot of talk this offseason about just how stacked we are at wide receiver and the potential explosiveness we could have by running both Keontae Ingram and Jordan Whittington at the same time. All that kind of revolves around the fact that we might want to take the tight end off the field at some point, um, which is something that Herman doesn't really like doing, and I think he kind of reemphasized that during the press conference, uh, just that he, he likes Brewer and he wants to keep on using kind of 11 personnel, one tight end, one running back uh, throughout the season. And I mean, there's a lot of time before the season starts, so we'll see how it actually shakes out. Uh, it's just kind of a, an interesting point that he made yeah uh and they you mentioned Keontae Ingram Jordan Whittington um those are both guys that he also talked um a little bit about talking about Keontae Ingram taking a big step forward uh Ingram last year despite injuries and despite limited carries as a result um still managed to put up nearly 800 yards rushing and apparently according to Tom Herman added 15 to 20 pounds in muscle um to help him take a little bit more of those hard hits because playing running back is such a brutal position. You do open yourself up to so many of those big hits. He expects Keontae Ingram to have a big impact. And he talked a lot about Jordan Whittington's, really his potential, his quickness. Sam Ellinger also raved about Jordan Whittington. Um, just the, the dynamic that he brings as a guy who's willing to do what it takes to help the team. Herman talked about him coming in just going, hey, we know you didn't really play running back truly in high school but we need you to do that here. And him just sort of relishing the opportunity and the challenge of learning that new position just to get on the field um, and be that sort of explosive, dynamic playmaker that we're, we've been lacking, hopefully getting to that point anyway. Yeah, definitely. Um, it sounds like he's really, really taken to the program. And uh, I mean, I, I think, I'm trying to think back to last year, because I think last year the guys that got the amount of hype that Keontae Ingram is getting, sorry, that Jordan Whittington is getting, maybe... Caden Stearns and Ingram once he actually got on campus in the summer. So I, I think it's kind of ex safe to actually expect big things from Whittington just because of the amount of praise that he's getting um, and comparing that to guys who got similar levels of hype last year. Yep, absolutely. One of, one of the other areas that uh, Herman touched on was also the defense. Had a question um, about what the expectations were going to be with the defense, losing all the experience that they lost. And Herman mentioned getting the best 11 guys on the field, regardless of what those positions were for those guys. Um, and I think that really goes towards the, like, another topic that was big during the offseason was talking about um, what that dime, that lightning package from Todd Orlando was going to look like, given where the strengths of this team are in the defensive backfield. So I thought that was an interesting thing for him to throw in, uh, getting the best 11 on the field on defense, just to have that, that youth, but still have that talent and as much experience as we can possibly manage um, during any given down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'll definitely be kind of the challenge of the season. And uh, Todd Orlando, I mean, it's going to be a difficult job. It should also be something that I imagine is kind of fun for him, given he's a big scheme, X's, O's guys. Uh, but, I mean, we have so much, not just talent, but athleticism, that I think if we get the best 11 on the field, we can see a productive defense. They'll, they'll be young. They're going to blow some coverages. They're going to take some bad angles. That stuff is just going to happen whenever you're working with a lot of sophomores mixed in with a couple upperclassmen. But, I mean, just the amount of athleticism should lend itself to some pretty, some pretty like, really good play at, at some times. So we'll kind of see. 
who knows what to expect from the defense. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely have some of those games where it feels like we we succeeded in spite of some uh, some blown assignments where uh, we were able to just out athlete the other the other team. Mm-hmm. For where this program is at this point, if it if it takes us just being better athletes uh, rather than sort of out experiencing or or out coaching, really, um, I, I guess that's a trade off I'm willing to make at this point. Yeah. And there are some pretty, I mean, there are some pretty amazing athletes in the Big 12 offensive skill players outside of like Oklahoma, maybe TCU or Tech. I can't really think of, I don't, there aren't that many teams that have a ton of elite athletes, right? Like they, they don't have elite athletes at every position outside of a couple of schools. So the yeah. fact that we can put athletes everywhere does kind of give us an advantage in some, like some cases. Yeah. And those, those, those areas where, where we would not be holding that just sort of raw, athletic edge by a, a massive margin like you said with Oklahoma uh, those are games where where Herman's reputation is really staked as being a big game coach and underdog coach um, and, and being able to overcome whatever sort of perceived deficit there might be um, so that I, I think that it gives us reason to have a lot of confidence in, in what we're looking at on the defense moving into this year yeah and uh, you know just quick quick shout out to our uh, season previews that we'll be doing <laughs> later where we can get into a lot more depth on some of the discussions so yeah we'll, just we'll really dig in. Tune in yeah we'll, we'll really dig in once fall camp rolls around we'll we'll push out episodes for the offense for the defense um probably ignore special teams because kickers aren't people but you know uh, it'll <laughs> uh be i think pretty kickers good. are people punters aren't people according to herman at least that's true the punter <laughs> whatever his name is from that, we'll, we'll sort of slide over, um, talk about Sam Ellinger, because this is sort of a question that both Sam and Tom Herman received. Just talking about Terry Bradshaw and Baker Mayfield's comments, sort of trashing Sam Ellinger. Both of them used the, the, the term irrelevant, said it's irrelevant. Sam said it was outside noise, doesn't affect anything in the program. Nothing anyone outside the program says um, is relevant to the mindset of the players going in. And, and that struck me too it two ways. One was that John Bianco, the sort of the head of the media relations department of the athletic department, um, has clearly done his homework. He's, I mean, everyone knows um, who's been at all involved with Texas athletics, knows John Bianco is extremely good at his job. And he proves it here because he's clearly got these guys coached up on the the correct word choice to uh, both describe it as irrelevant. So I I thought that was kind of funny. But the other thing is, I, I, I don't believe for a second that Sam does not hear that and does not take that and internalize the, that sort of slight. He's one of those guys where it, it's going to sound like an insult, but to say he sort of approaches that sort of criticism, like he's 12 years old, he takes everything really personally. But Sam Ellinger's got this distinct ability to take that that personal slight and, and really, really internalize it and really use it for something positive. It doesn't just eat away at him. He turns it against uh, the other people. So... Yeah, I feel I, like Sam was Sam was coached up well by John Bianco for John to convince him to say that, despite what my what my thoughts are on how Sam takes that sort of criticism. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, Sam also had a lot of practice answering that question. <laughs> like we we know that they asked it during his actual media time, right, where he was at the they had a little station set up for him. But I'm pretty sure that probably every interview he had there, they asked him about. It. I think R.J. Young, like the OU reporter got him for a couple of minutes and asked him about it. Um, so they definitely, yeah. they knew it was coming. They were prepared. <laughs> they did yeah. it a lot. 
And I, I was just going to say that I think that it also speaks a little bit to the, the team culture because what you're talking about, like they definitely hear it. Uh, they definitely know everything that's being said about the program. Like even if you try to avoid that stuff, you just can't avoid hearing that. It's going to get to you somehow. And then I also think that it's, like I think that it's pretty human, like part of human nature to care about what other people think of you, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I think that it kind of speaks to the health of the program and the team culture that there can be all this outside noise, but they don't really care about it. Because you're going to care about what somebody thinks of you. And so choosing to care about what your teammates and your coaches and people that are on your side think of you really allows for you to hear all that stuff, use it positively rather than let it affect you negatively. Yeah, So I thought, well said. Yeah, I thought it was a... I mean, it was a little bit of a standard answer, but it was also a good answer. So, hey. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I guess, just the last note that, that we've kind of got here. It's interesting, uh, Tom Herman was talking about with, with regard to the use of Sam Ellinger in the offense moving forward this season as far as the QB run game. Herman mentioned that we were going to employ a lot more um, RPOs, run pass options. And, and that was something last year where Sam sort of felt like he was not super consistent about making the reads. Um, and if you, he either wasn't consistent making the reads or the designs that we were giving him that looked like run pass options were not true read plays. But Sam still showed a lot of enthusiasm, as Sam does, about that sort of challenge that's coming, um, employing a lot more of that run pass option. That's going to be something that's a lot of people are going to attribute to the uh, influence of bringing in former North Carolina coach uh, Larry Fedora, bringing him in as an analyst. Um, those run pass options probably are right out of his playbook. Yeah, I think the, the it'll definitely be something to watch. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to watch early next season as we figure out what the identity of the offense will be. But Sam was inconsistent at times with his reads last season. Um, I expect he'll improve, and I think that he did get better as the season went on. Uh, but I think it's interesting that something that I noticed as not necessarily a, like a big weakness or anything, but not one of Sam's strengths on those uh, read option plays, He's so excited for it next season. <laughs> so I think that that means that he's he's been working on it. Um, they've been practicing, and I think it'd be good to expect some some improvement there. And if if they get it down, then that's really dangerous, and our, it could be a big step for our offense. Absolutely. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, we're getting super excited for college football season to be back, like we talked about. Uh, we've got some team previews. I'm gonna go unit by unit, really, uh, once fall camp arrives. Uh, We've got roughly five weeks now until Florida plays Miami to open week zero, and only six, uh, as of the date that we're recording this, we're recording Saturday morning, six weeks until the Longhorns kick off at DKR against Louisiana Tech. To keep up with our countdown to kickoff, definitely follow us on Twitter at at the FTH podcast, where we're continuing to unveil the top plays of 2018, uh, as voted on by you guys, as well as uh, users at our Longhorn Nation. Uh, and we're unveiling those every Saturday until kickoff. So with six weeks to go, we're really getting into the memorable stuff, uh, memorable stuff from last year. So definitely throw us a follow, check us out. Uh, we also were on a roll this week um, with our memes and shit posts, uh, with the new commitments coming in with Vernon Broughton, with Van Fillinger. I we would definitely say those are worth your time. Of course, that's just our opinion. Definitely check it out. Uh, we will catch you guys on the next episode. Until then, hook them.